Really interesting things happening overseas right now. Interesting is one way of putting it. Troubling might be another. Uh, What's next in Ukraine? Every week seems to bring yet another development, and uh, that elusive off-ramp that we keep talking about and looking for is yet to materialize. Uh, Once again, Vladimir Putin has escalated the attacks on Ukraine. You know about that. Uh, And Ukrainian civilians, in fact. And and always looming in the background of all of this is the constant threat of nuclear war. And it's really in the news today in a big way. Uh, French President Emmanuel Macron said that France wouldn't attack Russia should Putin break the nuclear taboo uh, and and use nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Um, But at the same time, the NATO nuclear planning group is meeting today in Brussels and organizing a nuclear exercise in response to a Russian nuclear exercise. And... We know about all the rhetoric around it. So so where are we headed? Are we headed to a really, really bad place, perhaps? Uh, we're going to have a conversation about what's going on there right now with Valerie Osterveld, who is the Associate Director of Western University's Centre for Transitional Justice and Post-Conflict Re- Reconstruction, also a member of the Canadian Partnership for International Justice. Valerie, thank you so much for joining us again. I appreciate your time. I'm happy to be here again. I hate to ask you to to gaze into a crystal ball here, but let's start there. I I don't know if anybody really knows where we're headed, what might come next. I mean, do you have any thoughts on what the direction is that we're on right now? Because there's definitely some troubling rhetoric happening. Absolutely, there's troubling rhetoric happening. It's very disturbing, actually, uh, this confluence of events that have been happening lately. So everything from the sham referenda in Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, and Zaporizhia regions, mm-hmm. and then the annexation, this discussion about the use of nuclear weapons, um, and the use of the missiles this week from Monday till today uh, all over Ukraine, and the use of drones as well, kamikaze drones. So all, all of this is very disturbing term of, turn of events. What do you think's behind it? Is it, I mean, uh, from what I'm reading from a lot of people, it's because Putin feels more and more and more cornered, more and more desperate. And, and the bridge to Crimea was another one that sort of uh, was an embarrassment, and he's feeling more and more trapped. Do you, do you put any credence to that theory? Yes, it seems so. It seems that uh, Putin is reacting to um, concerns that maybe he's losing ground and losing this war that he started. And... Um, Certainly the attack on the bridge was embarrassing for him, especially since Russia had built that bridge as a proof of, you know, its control over Crimea. Um, And then the missile attacks this week are retaliation against Ukraine um, in response to that embarrassment. Um, what we're seeing today uh, from the NATO uh, Nuclear Planning Committee, it's not its not completely novel. This is an annual uh, event that happens regularly. It's obviously different this time around and the planning of an exercise. Um, where do you think we are in terms of what the West is feeling in, you know, in terms of risk of actual nuclear conflict happening here? I think that there's a great deal of worry that nuclear weapons might be used by Russia, given that so many unpredictable things have happened since February the 24th. Um, It seems that at every turn when things look like there could potentially be, as you mentioned, some kind of off-ramp to peace in Ukraine, then Russia comes up with some other way of... um, attacking Ukraine, undermining Ukraine, taking its territory, etc. And obviously, um, I also meant to mention the uh, call-up of reserves in 
Russia not going as well as uh, Putin thought it would go, you know, calling for 300,000 reserves to come, and then mass exodus out of his own country, very public, um, that's another embarrassment he's trying to overcome lately. When you've got that kind of a situation, and you're right, I was going to bring that up, you've got the the domestic support for this uh, conflict that he started in Ukraine appears to have largely evaporated, maybe not entirely, but in large part, you've got people fleeing the country, you've got protests in the streets, so he doesn't have that uh, in terms of his you know, his uh, validity with the West, he conducts these referendums on the Donbass and everybody says, yeah, we don't even pay attention to that. It doesn't matter. It's a joke. Uh, that that reality must be setting in in the Kremlin, sort of like we're, we're really running out of options here for that off-ramp that we were talking about. Is that still even a possibility? Is there a way that he can negotiate a resolution to this and save face and think that it's it's acceptable? Well, what that off-ramp would look like is becoming less and less clear. Um, You know that yesterday in the UN General Assembly, there was a vote to adopt a resolution on the territorial integrity of Ukraine, and Russia was rebuffed in two different ways. First, it called for a secret ballot, and overwhelmingly countries voted against that request, and then, of course, voted in favor of adopting this resolution. Really large numbers. There are 143 countries in favor and and only five against. So that's yet another message to Russia that, um, in fact, the momentum is building on the side of Ukraine and against um, Russian actions. But the only negotiations that are going on right now are between Putin and the Turkish president with respect to the grain and fertilizer deal. So what is next is really unclear. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, the the prospects seem to get, as you said, it gets more and more um, constrained in terms of the options available for them to try and negotiate something here. So uh, at, at at this point, what do you read into, um, you know, some of the things that are happening with NATO? Uh, the United Nations also had a very high-level meeting about this earlier this week. So you've got the international community focused, but it seems to me like they're not really talking about negotiating or, or even having talks with Russia at this point. It's preparing for the next escalation. Um, NATO is for sure. In the UN General Assembly yesterday, the resolution called for the de-escalation of the current situation, called for political dialogue, negotiation, mediation, and other peaceful means of settling the dispute. So there, there's at least um, some indication of political will to get this back on a negotiation track. But right now, there doesn't seem to be any um, open doors. Certainly, uh, we saw that from President Zelensky, understandably, earlier this week, saying uh, that the doors are not open at this time. Yeah, very, very troubling time. Uh, Valerie, thank you so much for your time, as always. I really appreciate you being here. You're welcome. Take care. That is Valerie Osterveld, who is an Associate Director of Western University Center for Transitional Justice and Post-Conflict Reconstruction. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. (laughs) And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. <laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.